Thank you for tuning in, everybody. This is your host, Lo Jackson, and this is the Only You Podcast, where I like to do book reviews, talk about books that might enlighten, help somebody to become a better person, might level somebody up, make someone have the realization that they didn't have yesterday. This podcast was made to help get over grief, to help get over sadness, to help understand where grief, sadness, and sorrow, and misunderstandings, and misinterpretations, where all these different types of things come from, how the neuroplasticity is changed in your brain by the person smiling at you behind the counter at the gas station, or how your prodigiums get changed by someone else teaching you something that you did not know, and I'm here to hopefully change your prodigium. Like I talked about in my last podcast, the seven habits of highly effective people. But today, I'm going to be doing a podcast called The Magic of Thinking Big by David J. Schwartz. This book was published in 1959. David Joseph Schwartz Jr. was born March 23, 1927, and he passed away on December 6, 1987. He was an American, oh, excuse me, he was an American motivational writer and coach, best known for authoring The Magic of Thinking Big in 1959. He was a professor of marketing, chairman of the department, and chair of consumer finance at Georgia State University. He was alma mater at Ohio State University. Um, he received his BS degree at the University of Nebraska in 1948 and his MA and then his PhD in 1953 from Ohio State. He was a professor at Georgia State University in Atlanta and was considered a leading American authority on motivation. He became well known through his motivational publications and self-help books, especially The Magic of Thinking Big, published in 1959. Later, he began his own work as a self-help coach and life strategist and founded his own consultancy firm focusing on leadership development called Creative Educational Service. Georgia State University awards a scholarship in his honor each year and the magic the magic of thinking big it was first published I said back in 1959 it's a self-help book um this book was one of Simon & Schuster's all-time paperback bestsellers and has sold over 6 million copies. It instructs people to set their goals high and think positively to achieve them. The author gives a step-by-step guide on how to achieve what one wants by changing their thought patterns and, ha- and thought habits. You know, and when you change your thought patterns, that changes your prodigium, changes the neuroplasticity, changes your habits. You know, it takes 21 days, like Dr. Caroline Leaf talks about in her book, you know, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. It takes 21 days, and then it takes 66 days for that habit to stick or a bad habit to form and stick. He explains that visualization adds value. Everything and thinking big means training oneself to see not just what is, but what can be. He explains transmitting good news, win-win, and we feel better, and so do the people we are talking to. Lou Holes mentions that this book helped him create his lifelong goals 
lists. He also describes three failure diseases, executitis, detailitis, and procrastination. <laughs> Making better decisions and avoiding negative thoughts is the main topic of the book. And thank you guys for tuning in. This is your boy, Lo Jackson, and this is the Only You Podcast. And today we're doing The Magic of Thinking Big by David J. Swartz, which this book was published in 1959. Chapter 1 goes like this. Believe you can succeed, and you will. Success means many wonderful positive things. Success means personal prosperity, a fine home, vacations, travel, new things, financial security, giving your children maximum advantages. Success means winning admiration, leadership, being looked up to by people in your business and social life. Success means freedom, freedom from worries, fears, frustrations, and failure. Success means self-respect, continually finding more real happiness and satisfaction from life, being able to do more from those who depend on you. Success means winning. Success means achievement is the goal of life. Every human being wants success. Everybody wants the best this life can deliver. Nobody enjoys crawling, living in mediocrity. No one likes feeling second class and feeling forced to go that way. Some of the most practical success building wisdom is found in the biblical quotation stating that faith can move mountains. Believe, really believe, you can move a mountain and you can. Not many people believe that they can move mountains, so as a result... Not many people do. On some occasion, you've probably heard someone say something like, it's nonsense to think you can make a mountain move away just by saying, mountain, move away. It's simply impossible. People who think this way have belief confused with wishful thinking. A true enough and, excuse me, and true enough, you can't wish away a mountain. You can't wish yourself into an executive suite, nor can you wish yourself into a five-bedroom, three-bath house or high-income brackets. You can't wish yourself into a position of leadership. But you can move a mountain with belief. You can win success by believing you can succeed. There is nothing magical or mystical about the power of belief. Belief works this way. Belief. The and positive I can attitude generates the power, skill, and energy needed to do. When you believe I can do it, the how to do it develops. Every day, all over the nation, young people start working in new jobs. Each of them wishes that someday he could enjoy the success that goes with reaching the top. But the majority of these young people simply don't have the belief that it takes to reach the top of the rungs. And they don't reach the top. Believing it's impossible to climb high, they do not discover the steps that lead to great heights. Their behavior remains that of the average person, but a smaller number of these young people really believe they will succeed. They approach their work with the I'm going to the top attitude, and with subtile belief, they reach the top, believing they will succeed and that's, that it's not impossible. These folks study and observe the behavior of senior executives. They learn how successful people approach problems and make decisions. They observe the attitudes 
of successful people. The how to do it always comes to the person who believes he can do it. A young woman I'm acquainted with decided two years ago that she was going to establish a sales agency to sell mobile homes. She was advised by many that she shouldn't and couldn't do it. She had less than $3,000 in savings and was advised that the minimum capital investment required was many times that amount. Look how competitive it is, she was advised, and besides what practical experience have you had in selling mobile homes, let alone managing a business, her advisors asked. But this young lady had belief in herself and her ability to succeed. She quickly admitted that she lacked capital, that the business was very competitive, and that she lacked experience. But, she said, all the evidence I can gather shows that the mobile home industry is going to expand. On top of that, I've studied my competition. I know I can do a better job of merchandising trailers than anyone else in this town. I expect to make some mistakes, but I'm going to be on top in a hurry. And she was. She had little trouble getting capital, her absolutely unquestionable belief, and that she could succeed with this business won her the confidence of two investors. And armed with complete belief, she did the impossible. She got a trailer manufacturer to advance her a limited limited inventory with no money down. Last year, she sold over $1 million worth of trailers. Next year, she says, I expect to gross over $2 million. Belief, strong belief, triggers the mind to figure ways and means and how to. And believing you can succeed makes others place confidence in you. Most people do not put much stock in belief, but some, the residents of Successfulville, USA, do. Just a few weeks ago, a friend who is an official with a state highway department in the Midwest state related a mountain moving experience to me. Last month, my friend began our department sent notice, notices to a number of engineering companies that we were authorized to retain some firm to design eight bridges as part of our highway building program. The bridges were to be built at a cost of $5 million apiece. The engineering firm selected what would get a 4% commission of 200000 for its design work. I talked with 21 engineering firms about this. The four largest decided right away to submit proposals. The other 17 companies were small, having only three to seven engineers each. The size of the project scared off 16 of these 17. They went over the project, shook their heads, and said, in effect, it's too big for us. I wish I thought we could handle it, but it's no use even trying. But one of these small firms, a company with only three engineers, studied the plans and said, we can do it. We'll submit a proposal. They did, and they got the job. Those who believe they can move mountains do. Those who believe they can't cannot. Believe triggers the power to do. Actually, in these modern times, belief is doing much bigger things than moving mountains. The most essential element, in fact, the essential element in our space explorations today is belief that space can be mastered. Without firm, unwavering belief that man can travel in space, our scientists would not have the courage, interest, and enthusiasm to proceed. Belief that cancer can be cured will ultimately 
produce cures for cancer. Currently, there is some talk of building a tunnel under the English Channel to connect England with the continent. Whether this tunnel is ever built depends on whether responsible people believe it can be built. And we all know that it actually did. And if you don't know how the English Channel was built, the engineers on that project actually built two earth movers that were the biggest drill bits they had ever seen of their time. And they're go on the internet and look it up on YouTube. They're amazing looking. And they were within inches of meeting each other. So those two drill bits, one started on one side of the English Channel and drilled down. And I mean, the drill bit was the size of a house. It was humongous. They're both humongous earth moving drill bits. It's amazing. Get on there and check it out. I encourage it. The most essential element, in fact, the essential element in our space explorations today is belief that space can be mastered. Without firm unwavering belief that man can travel in space, our scientists would not have the courage, interest, and enthusiasm to proceed. Belief in great results is the driving force, the power behind all great books, plays, scientific discoveries. Belief in success is behind every successful business, church, and political organization. Belief in success is the one basic, absolutely essential ingredient of successful people. Believe, really believe, you can succeed and you will. Over the years, I've talked with many people who have failed in business ventures and in various careers. I've heard a lot of reasons and excuses for failure. Something especially significant unfolds as conversations with failures develop. In a casual sort of way, the failure drops a remark like, to tell the truth, I didn't think it would work, or I had my misgivings before I even started out, or actually, I wasn't too surprised that it didn't work. The, okay, I'll give it a try, but I don't think it'll work attitude produces failures. Remember that, guys. The okay, I'll give it a try, but I don't think it'll work attitude produces failures. Because anything that we put our belief into that it's going to work, we know we can get it done. We believe that we have all the right mindset, all the right tools within our mind, and all the physical attributes to get the job done. So we actually succeed at getting the job done and we never fail because we have all those tools that we need to get us there. Disbelief is negative power. When the mind disbelieves or doubts, the mind attracts reasons to support the disbelief. Doubt, disbelief, the subconscious will to fail. The not really wanting to succeed is responsible for most failures. Think doubt and fail. Think victory and succeed. A young fiction writer talked with me recently about her writing ambitions. The name of one of the top writers in her field came up. Oh, she said, Mr. X is a wonderful writer, but of course, I I can't be nearly as successful as he is. See, you guys, and honestly, doing this podcast, I have had so many doubts over the last year, and um, even when people told me that I worked with, that they were listening, I was instantly fear-stricken, but I learned to get over it through the year and, you know, kind of roll with the punches of exposing some of my you know, personal background on my podcast and stuff. And then I had somebody come to me one time um, and tell me how deeply moved they were by my podcast and how much it really helped them. And 
I'm telling you guys, it just blew me away. I was so thankful and so grateful. It was so encouraging that I really enjoyed this. And I fell in love with doing this at that point when I really realized that I did reach out and touch someone and that they did get help from this. That They cried and made it through and really, really appreciated me as a person for doing this and lifting them up and helping them out. So thank you guys for following me. This is the Only You Podcast, and today I'm doing The Magic of Thinking Big by David J. Schwartz, a book that was published in 1959, but is still very, very relevant today. Um, Her attitude disappointed me very much because I know the writer mentioned he is not super intelligent, nor super perspective, nor super anything else except super confident. He believes he is among the best, and he acts and performs the best. It is well to respect the leader. Learn from him. Observe him. Study him. But don't worship him. Believe you can surpass him. See, and I do believe this, you guys, with anything. I learned this from a gentleman that was one year older than me that wound up buying a phone number to a business out in Phoenix, and he took that phone number and ran with it and wound up, turning a $8,000 phone number into a $1.3 million business venture that he sold overnight and walked away from and bought a ranch in Texas. (laughs) But in reality, he told me all he did was actually work for a company where he took their business idea and copied and pasted and he made money. And that's all you got to do in life too. And, And right here it says, it is well to respect the leader, learn from him, observe him. Study him, but do not worship him. Believe you can surpass him. Believe you can go beyond. And that's what it's about. Copy and paste to the point where you can pass him up. And if he is a great leader, he will help you get there to overcome him. Because anybody you're working with that is training you, and they should be training you to overcome them. But unfortunately, when we get into the workplace and the hierarchies of work, Nobody ever wants their predecessor to overpass them. And it's unfortunate because if we had more people out there trying to better our younger generation to pass us up, we would be the most dominant force out there in the world so socially um, and all other economy, you know, economically, everything across the board. And I do believe that. Believe you can go beyond. Those who harbor the second-best attitude are inevitably second-best doers. Look at it this way. Belief is the thermostat that regulates what we accomplish in life. Study the fellow who is shuffling down there in mediocrity. He believes he is worth little, so he receives little. He believes he can't do big things, and he doesn't. He believes he is unimportant, so everything he does has an unimportant mark. As time goes by, lack of belief in him shows through in the way the fellow fellow talks, walks, and acts. Unless he readjusts his thermostat forward, he shrinks, grows smaller and smaller in his own estimation. And since others see in us what we see in ourselves, he grows smaller in the estimation of the people around him. And I want to say this too, that I feel since I've moved back to... Um, rural Midwest Illinois from the city I can actually feel people trying to push me in this direction of feeling less than or smaller and it's really hard when 
I have a light inside of me that is so bright and I want to share it. But out here in the Midwest, you can tell that certain ideologies and demographics of the people, you know, because of, you know, drugs and alcohol and other demographic um, downfalls that not a lot of people are hip on people that are light and talkative and excitable and outgoing. People are hip on those kind of people. And it's, it's not fair sometimes, but I do believe that they were pushing me to be kind of um, um, smaller, you know, or to feel smaller, and, and it sucked. But anyways, today we're doing The Magic of Thinking Big by David J. Swartz, and I'm back to the book. Now look across the way at the person who is advancing forward. He believes he is worth much, and he receives much. He believes he can handle big, difficult assignments, and he does. Everything he does, the way he handles himself with people, his character, his thoughts, his viewpoints, all say... Here is a professional. Here is an important person. A person is a product of his own thoughts. Believe big. Adjust your thermostat forward. Launch your success offensive with honest, sincere belief that you can succeed. Believe big and grow big. Several years ago, after addressing a group of businessmen in Detroit, I talked with one of the gentlemen who approached me. Introducing himself, he and said, I really enjoyed your talk. Can you spare a few minutes? I'd like very much to discuss a personal experience with you. In a few minutes, we were comfortably seated at a coffee shop waiting for some refreshments. I have a personal experience, he began, that ties in perfectly with what you said this evening about making your mind work for you instead of letting it work against you. I've never explained to anyone how I lift myself out of the world of mediocrity, but I'd like to tell you about it. And I'd like to share it, I said. Excuse me. And I'd like to hear it, I said. Well, just five years ago, I was plodding along, just another guy working in the tool and die trade. I made a decent living by average standards, but it was far from ideal. Our home was much too small, and there was no money for those many things we wanted. My wife, bless her, didn't complain much, but it was written all over her that she was more resigned to her fate than she was happy. Inside, I grew more and more dissatisfied when I let myself see how I was failing my good wife and two children. I really hurt inside. But today, things are really different, my friend continued. And I believe that many men go through this in marriage. Today, we have a beautiful new home on a two-acre lot and a year-round cabin a couple hundred miles north of here. There's no more worry about whether we can send the kids to good, a good college or my wife will no longer feel guilty every time she spends money for some new clothes. Next summer, the whole family is flying to Europe to spend a month's holiday. We're really living how did this all happen, I asked. It all happened, he continued. When, to use the phrase you used tonight, I harnessed the power of belief. Listen to that, you guys. He said, I harnessed the power of belief. Have any of you out there ever harnessed the power of belief, honestly? Have you ever believed in something so much that it came true? I once, I, I want to I share this. I once, my first love. As a kid, my first love, I remember I had this nightmare. I didn't see her for a week straight, and I had this reoccurring nightmare, and I thought about it, and I believed it, and I, 
I really, really held on to that nightmare all week. And at the end of the week, you would not believe it, but that nightmare played out word for word, every intel. And I had had that nightmare twice that week because I had really focused and believed in that nightmare. And I really thought that that girl was out doing that. And in reality, I walked in and saw her and she was. And it was no joke. So we all harness the power of belief and we can make things happen because once we believe it changes the frequencies and vibrations to put ourselves in motion of the frequencies of vibrations to allow that in which we want to be um, able to enter into our lives. It all happened, he continued, when, to use the phrase you used tonight, I harnessed the power to believe. Five years ago, I learned about a job with a tool and die company here in Detroit. We were living in Cleveland at the time. I decided to look into it, hoping I could make a little more money. I got here early on Sunday evening, but the interview was not until Monday. After dinner, I sat down in my hotel room for some reason. I got really disgusted with myself. Why, I asked myself, am I just middle class, a middle class failure? Why am I trying to get a job that represents such a small step forward? I don't know to this day what prompted me to do it, but I took a sheet of hotel stationery and wrote down the names of five people I've known well for several years who had far surpassed me in earning power and job responsibility. Two were former neighbors who had moved away to find subdivisions. Two others were fellows I had worked for, and the third was a brother-in-law. Next again, I don't know what made me do this. I asked myself, what do my five friends have that I don't have besides better jobs? I compared myself with them on intelligence, but I honestly couldn't see that they excelled in the brains department. Nor could I truthfully say they had me beat on education, integrity, or personal habits. Finally, I got down to another successful one. Here's a lot about. Excuse me. Finally, I got down to another success quality one. Here's a lot about. Initiative. Here I hated to admit it, but I had to. On this point, my record showed I was far below that of my successful friends. It was now about 3 a.m., but my mind was astonishingly clear. I was seeing my weak point for the first time. I discovered that I had held back. I had always carried a little stick. I dug into myself deeper and deeper and found the reason I lacked initiative was because I didn't believe inside that I was worth very much. And I think as a man, a lot of men go through this, and I do believe it's normal, and it's normal in our self-evaluation as men and women. I think we should all self-evaluate like this. I sat there the rest of the night just reviewing how lack of faith in myself had dominated me ever since I could remember how I had used my mind to work against myself. I found I had been preaching to myself why I couldn't get ahead instead of why I could. I had been selling myself short. I found this streak of my self-deprecation showed through in everything I did. Then it dawned on me that no one else was going to believe in me until I believed in myself. And that's the God's honest truth, you guys. And I say that on all my other podcasts No one's ever going to believe you as much as you believe yourself because what you say 
comes out of your mouth, out of your mind, enters back into your hearing apparatuses, which are your ears, and it leaves you with no one's ever going to believe you as much as you believe yourself because there is no sweeter voice in the whole wide world than your voices to yourself. Next morning, I still had that confidence. During the job interview, I gave my newfound confidence its first test. Before coming for the interview, I had hoped I would have courage to ask for 750 or maybe even 1000 more than my present job was paying. But now, after realizing I was a valuable man, I upped it to 3500 and I got it. I sold myself because after that one long night of self-analysis, I found things in myself that made me a lot more saleable. Within two years after I took that job, I had established a reputation as the fellow who can get business. Then we went into a recession. This made me still more valuable because I was one of the best business getters in the industry. The company was reorganized and I was given a substantial amount of stock plus a lot more pay. Believe in yourself and good things do start happening. And I want to share this. I once worked for a company doing sales and their slow season was September. Or yeah, their slow season was in the month of September. And at the end of August, my boss came to me and told me that I was never going to make any money in September. And he was adamant about it. He's like, you know, I have never sold over $3,000 worth in the month of September. He's like, dude, we are going to struggle next month, so please sell as much as you can. He's like, you know, don't, don't look for huge numbers because normally it never happens. And it was crazy when he told me that. In my brain, I instantly thought, well, buddy, you have never met me. And I made it a personal vendetta. I believed in myself because I had sold so much in five months that, I mean, I was sitting at like 200,000, you know, 225,000 at that point, honestly. It was in between 225,000. And I remember the month of September, I sold 30,000 in equipment. And he wound up giving me a big old check at the end of the month and told me, Man, you are incredible, and I had never seen anybody in the industry do what you just did. Either you're one smooth talker or you're one lucky guy. And I looked at him and I said, well, I would like to think that my intelligence played something in this uh, uh, greatness, you know. (laughs) Your mind is a thought factor. It's a busy factory producing countless thoughts in one day. Production in your thought factory is under the charge of two foremen, one of whom we will call Mr. Triumph and the other Mr. Defeat. Mr. Triumph is in charge of manufacturing positive thoughts. He specializes in producing reasons why we can, why you're qualified, why you will. The other foreman, Mr. Defeat, produces negative, uh, depreciating thoughts. He is your expert in developing reasons why you can't, why you're weak, why you're inadequate. His specialty is the why you will fail chain of thoughts. Both Mr. Triumph and Mr. Defeat are intensely obedient. They snap to attention immediately. All you need to do is signal either foreman is to give the slightest mental beckoning call. If the signal is positive, Mr. Triumph will step forward and go to work. Likewise, a negative signal brings Mr. Defeat forward. 
To see how these two foremen work for you, try this example. Tell yourself, today is a lousy day. This signals Mr. Defeat into action, and he manufactures some facts to prove you are right. He, says, he suggests to you that it's too hot or it's too cold. Business will be bad today. Sales will drop. Other people will be on edge. You may get sick. Your wife will be in a fussy mood. Mr. Defeat is a tremendously Mr. Defeat is tremendously efficient. In just a few moments, he's got you sold. It is a bad day. Before you know it, it is a heck of a bad day. But tell yourself today is a fine day and Mr. Triumph is signaled forward to act. He tells you, "This is a wonderful day. The weather is refreshing. It's good to be alive." Today, you can catch up on some of your work, and then it is a good day. In like fashion, Mr. Defeat can show you why you can't sell Mr. Smith. Mr. Triumph will show you that you can. Mr. Defeat will convince you that you will fail. Mr. Triumph will demonstrate why you will succeed. Mr. Defeat will prepare a brilliant case against Tom, while Mr. Triumph will show you more reasons why you will like Tom. Now, the more work you give either of these two foremen, the stronger he becomes. If Mr. Defeat is given more work to do, he adds personal and takes up more space in your mind. Eventually, he will take over the entire thought, manufacturing division, and virtually all thought will be of a negative nature. The, other, the only wise thing to do is fire Mr. Defeat. You don't need him. You don't want him around telling you that you can't. You're not up to it. You'll fail and so on. Mr. Defeat won't help you get where you want to go, so boot him out. Use Mr. Triumph 100% of the time. When any thought enters your mind, ask Mr. Triumph to go to work for you. He'll show you how to succeed. Between now and tomorrow, this time, another 11,500 new customers will have made their grand entry into the USA. Population is growing at a record rate. In the next 10 years, the increase is conservatively estimated at 35 million. That's equal to the present combined metropolitan population of our five biggest cities, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, Detroit, and Philadelphia. Imagine! New industries, new scientific breakthroughs, expanding markets all spell opportunity. This is good news. This is the most wonderful time to be alive. All signs point to a record demand for top-level people in every field, people who have superior ability to influence others, to direct their work, to serve them in a leadership capacity. And the people who will fill these leadership positions are all adults or near adults right now. One of them is you. The guarantee of a boom is not, of course, a guarantee of personal success. Oh, but I, I do want to share this. In the midst of opportunity, chaos arises. And that is a saying by T.D. Jakes. Over the long pole, the United States has always been booming. But just a fast glance shows that millions and millions of people, in fact, a majority of them struggle, but don't really succeed. The majority of folks still plug along in mediocrity despite the record opportunity of the last two decades. And in the boom period ahead, most people will continue to worry, to be afraid, to crawl through life feeling unimportant, unappreciated, not able to do what they want to do. As a result, the performance will earn them pretty rewards 
excuse me, petty rewards, petty happiness. Those who convert opportunity into reward, and let me say, I sincerely believe you are one of those. Else you'd rely on luck and not bother with this book will be those wise people who learn how to thank themselves to success. Walk in. The front door to success is open wider than ever before. Put yourself on record now that you are going to join that select group that is getting what it wants from life. Here's the first step towards success. It's a basic step. It can't be avoided. Step one, believe in yourself. Believe you can succeed. Next title, how to develop the power of belief. Here are three guides to acquiring and strengthening the power of belief. One, think success. Don't think failure. At work, in your home, substitute success thinking for failure thinking. When you face a difficult situation, think, I'll win. I'm a winner, not I'll probably lose. When you compete with someone else, think, I'm equal to the best, not I'm outclassed. When opportunity appears, think, I can do it, never I can't. Let the master thought, I will succeed, dominate your thinking process, thinking, Success conditions your mind to create plans that produce success. Thinking failure does the exact opposite. Failure thinking conditions the mind to think other thoughts that produce failure. Two, remind yourself regularly that you are better than you think you are. And that's the truth about almost all human beings at some point in our lives. We love to beat ourselves up because a lot of times... As humans, we are our own worst enemy. Remind yourself regularly that you are better than you think you are because in reality, you really are because we're our own worst enemies. Successful people are not supermen. Success does not require a super intellect, nor is there anything mystical about success. And success isn't based on luck. Successful people are just ordinary folks who have developed belief in themselves and what they do. Never, yes, never sell yourself short. Three, believe big. The size of your success is, is determined by the size of your belief. Think little goals and expect little achievements. Think big goals and win big success. Remember this too. Big ideas and big plans are often easier, certainly no more difficult than small ideas and small plans. Mr. Ralph J. Cardner, chairman of the board of General Electric Company, said this to a leadership conference. We need from every man who aspires to leadership for himself and his company a determination to understand a personal program of self-development. And you guys, every single one of you needs a personal plan for self-development. You need to write down a regiment. You need to be on a routine. We as human beings need to be on routines. We need to get in the habit of becoming better people. Nobody is going to order a man to develop. Whether a man lags behind or moves ahead in his specialty is a matter of his own personal application. This is something which takes time, work, and sacrifice. Nobody can do it for you. Mr. Cordner's advice is sound and practical. Live it. Persons who reach the top rungs in business management, selling, engineering, religious work, writing, acting, and in every other pursuit get there by following consciously and continuously a plan for self-development and growth. Any training program, 
And that's exactly what this book is, must do three things. It must provide content, excuse me, it must provide content, the what to do. Second, it must supply a method, the how to do it. And third, it must meet the acid test, that is, get results. The what of your personal training program for success is built on attitudes and techniques of successful people. How do they manage themselves? How do they overcome obstacles? How do they earn the respect of others? What sets them apart from ordinary? How do they think? The how of your plan for development and growth is a series of concrete guides for action. These are found in each chapter. These guides work. Apply them and see for yourself. What about the most important part of training? Results. Wrapped up briefly, um, conscientiously, application of the program presented here will bring you success on a scale that may now look impossible. Broken down into components, your personal training program for success will bring you a series of rewards. The reward of deeper respect from your family, the reward of admiration from your friends and associates, the reward of feeling useful, of being someone, of having status, the reward of increased income, and a higher standard of living. Your training is self-administered. And that goes along with any training. You know, and that goes in college too. A lot of kids nowadays think that they're going to go to college, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're not going to have to teach themselves or read books. There's going to be a person in front of the class like there was in elementary school you know, all the way up to 12th grade, you know, holding your hand, guiding you through school. That's not the case in college at all. It's all you teaching yourself. That's why, I mean, yeah, college is great and grand for that piece of paper, but in reality, there are some people that dropped out of school in eighth grade amongst us and have Elon Musk abilities in their brains, and I'm not kidding you. They're out there, and they're walking amongst us. Your training is self-administered. There will be no one standing over your shoulder telling you what to do and how to do it. This book will be your guide, but only you can understand yourself. Only you can command yourself to apply this training. You already have a fully equipped laboratory in which you can work and study. Your laboratory is all around you. Your laboratory consists of human beings. This laboratory supplies you with every possible example of human action and there is no limit to what you can learn once you see yourself as a scientist in your own lab what's more there is nothing to buy there is no rent to pay there are no fees of any kind you can use the laboratory as much as you like for free as director of your own laboratory you will want to do what every scientist does observe and experiment isn't it surprising to you that most people understand so little about why people act as they do, even though they are surrounded by people all their lives. Most people are not trained observers. One important purpose of this book is to help you train yourself to observe, to develop deep insight into human action. You'll want to ask yourself questions like, why is John so successful and Tom just getting by? Why do some people have many friends and other people have very few friends? What? Why will people gladly accept what one person tells them but ignore another person who tells them the same thing? Once trained, 
you will learn valuable lessons just through the very simple process of observing. Here are two special suggestions to help you make yourself a trained observer. Select for special study the most successful and the most unsuccessful person you know. Then, as the book unfolds, observe how closely your successful friend adheres to the successful principles. Notice also how studying the two extremes will help you see the unmistakable wisdom of following the truths outlined in this book. Each contact you make with another person gives you a chance to see success development principles at work. Your objective is to make successful actions habitual. The more we practice, the sooner it becomes second nature to act in the desired way. Most of us have friends who grow things for a hobby, and we've all heard them say something like, it's exciting to watch those plants grow. Hey, you guys, I'm a horticulturist, and it is exciting, and I love it. Every time I see a plant grow, it means so much to me because plants are a living thing, and I contain them, you know, manipulate them. Make them grow big, make them grow small, make them flower early, make them flower late. I can do all that stuff. Just look how they respond to plant food and water. See how much bigger they are today than they were last week. To be sure, it is thrilling to watch what we can when men cooperate carefully with nature. But it is not one-tenth as fascinating as watching yourself respond to your own carefully administered thought management program. It's fun to feel yourself growing for more confident, more effective, more successful day by day, month by month. Nothing, absolutely nothing in this life gives you more satisfaction than knowing you're on the road to success and achievement and nothing stands as a bigger challenge than making the most of yourself. And thank you guys for listening to the Only You Podcast. This is your host, Lo Jackson. And today we're doing a book called The Magic of Thinking Big by David J. Schwartz. This book was published in 1959, but is still very lucrative to this day and very much um, on point at this point in my life. And I would give this this book a five-star review because... The principles used in here are actually more self-explanatory than some of the books that I've read with words that are so out there that nobody ever uses or ever heard of. So this one was an easy, great read for the layman out there, and I appreciate that. So thank you, David Schwartz, for this great write. And chapter two is Cure Yourself of Executus, the Failure Disease. People, as you think yourself, excuse me, People as you think yourself to success. That's what you will study. People. You will study people very carefully to discover, then apply success rewarding principles to your life. And you want to begin right away. Go deep into your study of people. And you'll discover unsuccessful people suffer a mind-deadening thought disease. We call the disease executitus. Every failure has this disease in its advanced form, and most average persons have at least a mild case of it. You will discover that executus explains the difference between the person who is going places and the fellow who is barely holding his own. 
you will find that the more successful the individual, the less inclined he is to make excuses. But the fellow who has gone nowhere and has no plans for getting anywhere always has a book full of reasons to explain why. Persons with mediocre accomplishments are quick to explain why they haven't, why they don't, why they can't, and why they aren't. Study the lives of successful people and you'll discover this. All the excuses made by the mediocre fellow could be but aren't made by the successful person. I have never met nor heard of a highly successful business executive, military officer, salesman, professional person, or leader in any field who could not have found one or more major excuses to hide behind. Roosevelt could have hidden behind his lifeless legs. Truman could have used no college education. Kennedy could have said, I'm too young to be president. Johnson and Eisenhower could have ducked behind heart attacks. Like any disease, executus gets worse if it isn't treated properly. A victim of this thought disease goes through this mental process. I'm not doing as well as I should. What can I use as an alibi that will help me save face? Let's see. Poor health. Lack of education. Too old. Too young. Bad luck. Personal misfortune. Wife. The way my family brought me up. Once the victim of this failure disease has selected a good excuse, he sticks with it. Then he relies on the excuse to explain himself and others why he is not going forward. And each time the victim makes the excuse, the excuse becomes embedded deeper within his subconscious. Thoughts, positive or negative, grow stronger when fertilized with constant repetition at first, the victim of executus knows his alibi is more or less a lie, but the more frequently he repeats it, the more convinced he becomes that it is completely true, the, that the alibi is the reason for his not being the success he should be. Procedure 1. Then, in your individual program of thinking yourself to success, must be to vaccinate yourself against exotitis Oh, excuse me, executus, the disease of failures. The four most common forms of executus. Execute, excusitus, actually it's, yeah, ex, excusitus appears in a wide range of forms. But the worst types of this disease are healthy excusitus, intelligence excusitus, age excusitus, and luck excusitus. Now, let's see how we can protect ourselves from these four common ailments. One, but my health isn't good. Health excusitus ranges all the way from the chronic I don't feel good to the more specific I've got such and such wrong with me. Bad health is a thousand different in a thousand different forms is used as an excuse for failing to do what a person wants to do, failing to accept greater responsibilities, failing to make more money, failing to achieve success. Millions and millions of people suffer from health ex excusitis. But it is, excuse me, but is it in most cases a legitimate excuse? Think for a moment of all the highly successful people you know who could but who don't use health as an excuse. My physician and surgeon friends tell me the perfect specimen of adult life is non-existent. 
There is something physically wrong with everybody. Many surrender in whole or in part to health excusitis, but success-thinking people do not. Two experiences happen. Excuse me. Two experiences happened to me in one afternoon that illustrate the correct and incorrect attitudes towards health. I had just finished a talk in Cleveland. Afterwards, one fellow about 30 asked me to speak to me privately for a few minutes. He complimented me on the meeting, but then said, I'm afraid your ideas can't do me much good. You see, he continued, I've got a bad heart, and I've got to hold myself in check. He went on to explain that he had seen four doctors, but they couldn't find his trouble. He asked me what I would suggest he do. Well, I said, I know nothing about the heart, but as one layman to another, here are three things I do. I do. First, I'd visit the finest heart specialist I could find and accept his diagnosis as final. You've already checked with, your, with four doctors, and none of them has found any particular thing wrong with your heart. Let the fifth doctor be your final check. It may be very well be... Excuse me. It may very well be you've got a perfectly sound heart, but if you keep on worrying about it, eventually you may have a very serious heart ailment. Looking and looking and looking for an illness often actually produces an illness. The second thing I'd recommend is that you read Dr. Schindler's great book, How to Live Live 365 Days a Year. Dr. Schindler shows in this book that three out of Four hospital beds are occupied by people who have EII, emotionally induced illness. Imagine three out of four people who are sick right now would be well if they had learned how to handle their emotions. Dr. Schindler's book and develop your program for emotions management. Third, I'd resolve to live until I die. I went on to explain to this troubled fellow some sound advice I received many years ago from a lawyer friend who had an arrested case of tuberculosis. This friend knew he would have to live a regulated life, but this hasn't stopped him from practicing law. Rearing a fine family and really enjoying life. My friend who now is 78 years old expresses his philosophy in these words, I'm going to live until I die, and I'm not going to get life and death confused. While I'm on this earth, I'm going to live. Why be only half alive? Every minute a person spends worrying about dying is just one minute. That fellow might as well have been dead. And thank you for listening to the Only You Podcast. This is your boy, Lo Jackson, and this is The Magic of Thinking Big by David J. Schwartz. And you can find this book on um, Google, Kindle, and all the great platforms out there for um, anywhere from 10 to $15. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, this is the Only You Podcast.